Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Bond by Numbers, a new podcast dedicated to reviewing the official James Bond films as produced by Eon Productions. My name is Scott Powell, and my co-host for this journey will be, as always, Joshua Taylor. Real-life cousins and lifelong Bond fans, together we will revisit our love of the franchise and review each film with fun features and analysis. Joshua Taylor, are you out there? Whoa, man, I'm just coming in off that wave. I'm about to go hit the beach and hit it up with Annette Finicello. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a bit surfy. Uh, I'm very proud to introduce our uh, intro music for the series by The Hunters. The, uh, the song is The Storm. Now, The Hunters are a great instrumental band, a backing band for a lot of solo artists in the 60s and late 50s. And, you know, they did some work with the likes of Cliff Richard and the Avons and whatnot. And in one of our previous projects together, we've heard some of their music, haven't we, Josh? We did the, the famous Golden Earring song that they had we used for our Ian Fleming novel retrospective. And now we're... Through we're the literary gun barrel. Through the literary gun barrel. Mm -hmm. And now here we are at the films. Kind of, I suppose, the... Uh, the not the apex, but maybe the... Uh, culmination? The culmination of our, our enthusiasm for James Bond. So, yeah... My name is Scott Powell, and I'm over here in Dumfries, Scotland, and uh, Josh Taylor over there in Canada, Ontario. This is our fourth series production, and uh, hopefully our, our best yet. I'd say so. I'm, I'm, I'm enthusiastic that it could be. <laughs> well, that's good. It's a good place to start. <laughs> Absolutely. So just to go, because we're James Bond fans, we all have, we, we're going to give ourselves code names. You may have heard them us give ourselves those names before, but... Um, I'm Josh, the BFG. Now, for those who know me, that acronym makes total sense. Um, hint, hint, I'm a very tall guy. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, Scott here who's taking the codename of Bowman, which is a little more complex than mine. Or not really complex, more just like Byzantine. <laughs> Byzantine. I was wondering what adjectives you'd find. It's, it's not complex or Byzantine, really. Bowman's just a nickname I was given a long, long time ago by pals at school, uh, back in junior high school, named after Scotty Bowman, the uh, famous NHL coach. And it's just something that's stuck. And together, Bowman and the BFG works nicely as a partnership, I think. I think it does. I think back in our kiddie days, uh, we had we, when the emails that uh, we were really into X Files. So I was like, you were the, uh, sorry, I was the well manicured man who was played by the late Canadian actor John Neville on the X-Files. He was one of the evil members of the syndicate. And you were uh, the red-haired man who is a small character in X-Files, I guess in the big sense, but he's very memorable as being the Garot-carrying um, red-headed assassin in, uh, in season three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a, a great characters, both. Uh, mine didn't last quite as long as yours did, but... No, but, but memorable. Memorable nonetheless. Of course, we're not here to talk about the X-Files. In fact, what we should probably do at the outset here in this inaugural episode, before we talk about the format and exactly what listeners can expect and what we can expect from the show, we might want to answer this generic question. Why are we doing this? And indeed, does the yes. internet does the internet need another James Bonding podcast? Because there is a great podcast out there, uh, James Bonding. Many of you will probably listen to it. There's also the James Bond Radio. There's there's all kinds of good product out there already on James Bond. We're not trying to improve upon that format. We're not we're not looking to, you know, challenge any other ideas yeah. that are out there. We're just looking to, 
I guess, bring our enthusiastic angles and our enthusiastic um, exactly. uh, traditions and history with James Bond in our own little way, in our own forum, to wrap a bow on right. what, what's kind of been uh, a big project for us in the last couple of years. BFG, why don't you say something about what we've been doing Bond-wise over the last few years? Uh, well, we did a To the Literary Gun Barrel. That was a literary survey of the James Bond novels by Ian Fleming. So we went through all the Ian Fleming novels and, you know, gave our own analysis and our own feelings towards it and had some fun debates and arguments and, you know, kind of created our own, um, a considerably solid ranking of, of, the, of, of the novels in their own way and how they relate to, uh, but what we try to do in most cases during that period was separate the Bond novels from the Bond film, which is very difficult to do. And being a pop culture maven that I am through that series, there's a lot of moments where I kind of broke that, you know, uh, single source material matter only kind of, kind of line and cro crossed over to, you know, the influences of the films and whatnot. And that's very difficult not to do. And here, well, there's no holds barred when it comes to the films. So <laughs> I, it, it, I, I don't think I'll be as constrained as I was when I was doing the Bond novels. How about you? How, how about yourself on, the, on that score? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And it's, it's been four or five years since I've watched these films. And even then, uh, I, I wouldn't say I watched them you know, sequentially. Didn't, didn't really watch them with a fine surgical eye. It was just... Just yeah. put on a Bond film because, you know, when we were teenagers, we were quite into the Bond film. I know we'll talk about that in a few moments, about uh, how we got into the franchise. But a few years ago, we did this also before we did the uh, the literary exploration. We did the musical exploration, didn't we? Out of a, a love that we have and a share for film music, we looked at the Bond soundtrack. Oh, yeah. I totally composers. forgot about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I didn't forget about it, but I just, just uh, I guess the... the Two Literary Gun Barrel was, a, I guess, a much, much larger prop project in terms of my involvement with it. It certainly Whereas was, yeah. Whereas, I think the other one was, it seems more like it was a fun thing to do, testing out how good Skype is in terms of doing a podcast. Yeah, because no, that's what you're we right. do. Cutting our He's teeth. in Scotland. He's in Scotland. I'm in Canada. And we're doing this through Skype. So this is really a great advertisement for Skype than anything. And in fact, I think Skype should pay for our series and give us a bigger budget. What do you think? Sponsor. Yeah, sponsor Skype will sponsor us, and they don't even know it. Uh, when you say a bigger budget, um, bigger than what? Oh man, I'm talking about getting the deficit. Like, <laughs> yeah, the deficit, or just getting a huge—I uh, don't know—getting a huge like uh, get like an orchestra here if we want, like a live studio <laughs> okay. orchestra. Yeah, sure. And then we can, and then we can get like you know guest stars. You know, we'll get like we'll get Sean Connery out of retirement to come on the series. <laughs> well, you know, we are going to we are going to have guests on the show occasionally. We'll say a few things about that. But let you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Hmm. Let's talk about um, the relationship that we share as cousins and how James Bond fits into that, because we've got a really important figure here in the background that we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, I think spy lore and, and, and stuff has kind of been with us since the very beginning. If I recall, you know, back in the day, well, I guess you could refer to your best man speech about, you know, playing Get Smart as, as little ki little tykes, mm -hmm. and uh, which is kind of a parody of Bond, as people may know. <laughs> uh, and then eventually, you know, my grandmother, Gr Granio, as we call her, uh, she gave me for my birthday when I was like eight or nine, uh, The Man with the Golden Gun, uh, a Roger Moore James Bond. And before then, I didn't even know what James Bond was. So... I um, saw that with my first Bond film was uh, The Man with the Golden Gun with Roger Moore. And uh, ever since then, uh, she, she, was, she sent me following that, The Living Daylights with Timothy Dalton. 
then eventually The Spy Who Loved Me, For Your Eyes Only. I kind of built up my own little VHS collection. And then I guess 12 or 13 came around and I was just into other stuff and didn't really get into it. Uh, it kind of like fell off the bond wagon, I guess you could say. Um, I, I didn't even really see all the Connery. I was more into the Roger Moore, you know, the, the, the Dalton ones. But I think what happened is then, of course, was the release of GoldenEye, and not particularly the film, the video game for Nintendo 64. And that kind of got my Bond juices flowing again. And then that very soon afterwards, uh, we re reunited again. I, by this point, I was living in the mainland of Canada in Ontario, and you were still living in Newfoundland. The hinterland. And, yeah, we came up for my aunt's wedding, and we kind of reconnected. And I saw, you know, you had all the James Bond movies on VHS, like the newly released versions of that time. And I got into, I guess we just started, I got into Bond again uh, mm -hmm. through GoldenEye. And then, uh, and then I guess in, in a stronger sense, through you again, because you even had some of the novels with you as well. So then Bond came back and then I think I got into the Brosnan era of Bond. So, you know, like I, I liked Goldeneye when I first saw it, but then I guess I revisited it again, and then I'm, and then we got really excited for Tomorrow Never Dies in '97, and then I guess that's how Bond kind of came back into my life again, and hasn't left it since. Yeah, my story's not too dissimilar. Uh, let's go back to that that same anchor, the our grandmother, as you say, Granny O. The O stands for Olive, which is her first name. Uh, she's still with us, uh, born in 1925. I spoke to her just oh. earlier this week about our series, and she's quite excited to get involved in any way that she yeah. can. So you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a few moments. But Granny O uh, was instrumental with me as well, getting me into Bond. When you moved, because we did grow up as little young guys together, but when you moved away... Uh, I stayed, obviously, in Newfoundland where my grandmother was, and we watched For Your Eyes Only at her apartment once, and that show kind of stuck with me, and I remember, I don't remember everything from it, you know, I mean, it's not an easy plot for a five-year-old to figure out, but... No, especially um, For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, but then I remember one of the most, um, I, I guess, you know, really one of the most cementing features of these early Bond memories for me is Jaws, the character of Jaws played by Richard Keel, you know, and how how uh, how much gravity he had on on screen for a young guy, oh, yeah. a little kid to, to watch. And, you know, sure. Granny, I speak, spoke to her earlier this week. She defends sending you that videotape and she defends, you know, she said there was nothing vulgar or there was certainly less of a, a safety net over what, what you would what you would share with children and grandkids, you know, like she didn't think twice about sending you that even though Britt Eklund's running around in a bikini, the whole thing, right? Like her, her, her appreciation of gender roles is a little bit different, maybe than, than, than contemporary times. And I uh, think I was more, I think I was more attracted to Knickknack than I was to, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Britt Eklund. Yeah. Well, it, it's just, it's just interesting to have a chat with her about this and to kind of get her, you know, to get her Not attracted uh, more like interested in it. Hmm. Well, she, she says that, um, you know, she's forgotten. Yeah, at the age of ninety three, going on ninety four, she's forgotten you know some of the details of the films. But man, I tell you what, she's sharp and she's on point. And if there's any yes. way to bring her in here in a very you know respectful way uh, to get her opinions on each of these films as we go through them, then I'm definitely gonna definitely gonna try to do that because she's keen. Yeah. She's keen to help out, and uh, you know, like we did with the books, we'll we'll share these episodes with her as well and make sure she gets gets a part of it. Yeah, I was listening to the bits of your playing of, of the uh, in, of the kind of the informal interview that you had with her over the phone about the Bond films and everything. And I like how like, one of your questions was posing that, you know, like, who is the best James Bond? And she says Sean Connery. And I mean, that's a 
that's that's a, a opinion shared by a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, of course. But uh, <laughs> it got to the point where um, then we talked about Roger Moore because because we know how dear Roger Moore is to you, and. Uh, her response was and said she didn't like him very much. <laughs> she thought he was kind of foolish and, and whatnot. Um, and then, and then uh, you, you asked her and you said, so, so, you, so you said like all of his, you basically asked her, you know, so all of his movies are crap basically. She's like, no, 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 no. I don't like the, that bond, but the stories are good. Mm-hmm. So she was like right on, she, you know, she knew, she, she had the answer in her mind the entire time, what she wanted to say. And, and, and she was, you know, she was, uh, she was, what's the word? She was, um, uh, piloting a st- you know a straight course, you know what I mean? Like she ex- she knew exactly where she was steering to. Mm-hmm. She totally did. And sharp we, as attack. And we know where we're steering with this show as well. We have got uh, a real good structure. Okay. We we got a really good structure put in in for yes. this, and we want to share that structure here in the inaugural episode. And when we finish up here today in in uh, episode one, we're going to have decided on which film we start with, but. Uh, in the past, with our previous productions, you know, where we've done, um, and we just came out of a massive Sherlock Holmes project too. I mean, I don't think yes. we need to fill too much time, but talking Lighting about Lighting the here, Pipes, for those who are looking for it. Yeah, if you're keen on Sherlock Holmes, you can check out our other show, Lighting the Pipes, where we went through the entire Sherlock Holmes canon and uh, analyzed every story. Uh, we had a fine-tooth comb, I think, would be an understatement, yes. you know. We had a lot of fun there, but that, that took about 20 months of our reading lives. And we're keen to do something a little bit, I wouldn't say passive, but watching a film ain't quite the same, even when you're analyzing it as reading a book. I mean, it can be. You're a film major. You, you know, you went to film school, so I'm not trying to put that down. I'm, I'm an English major. I'm teaching English now. But I'm just saying there's something a little more relaxing about maybe working a deadline watching a film than working a deadline reading a book. Absolutely. And also, you know, in her own way, like you particularly juggling with, you know, also having a family and, and whatnot is also, you know, you got to prioritize those things, right? Yeah, of course. And, every, you know, everybody's got a little passion projects has got to do got to do the prioritizing. But um, th- th- our structure is going to help with that because we're, we're going to aim to have an episode every two or three weeks and um, hopefully two, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. But we want to take you through the episode structure. So each episode, what we're looking to do uh, we'll have watched the film, of course, and we'll then come together and we will recap our previous show. Uh, we'll talk, if we need to, just for a couple of moments about the, the guest spot, if there was one, any highlights mm-hmm. highlights from the from the viewing, from the discussion, and our scoring. And we'll talk about scoring in a few minutes. We're then going to give an introduction to the film of the episode current and a little bit of information of where you and I were when we first saw this film or where we first heard about it or came across it, what our first memories of it are. And then we got a little bit of a segment. This is uh, number four, by the way, if you're wondering where the title comes in. This is segment four, Cubby's Corner, where we're going to talk about production history, some notes, any interesting uh, information about the casting, filming locations. You want to say anything else about Cubby's Corner? Yes, for those who are wondering, um, that was my invention, Cubby's Corner. Uh, Cubby refers to, of course, to Albert R. Broccoli, the famous Eon Productions, I guess, mogul who brought the Bond films to life for MGM and the United Artists in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And Harry so, Saltzman, Harry Saltzman as well. Yeah, Saltzman was a big thing in the early years of the Bond, of the Bond era. Absolutely. But, but uh, the, the broccoli family has always been with the Eon, or has always yeah. been, you know, part of the Eon production. So we've yeah, Cubby's yeah. left the mortal coils as of as, as of 
as of now, but Barbara, his daughter, is still running things. Yeah, so what, what we decided to do, Cubby's Corner sounds a lot better than Cubby and Saltzman's Corner. And I mean, we can talk about their fallout and then their sort of repatriation later if, if you want to when we get to those particular films. But that's basically just our little spot for the production news and production information about the film. Number yeah. five, uh, in the introduction bit, we're going to just talk about how the film was received. How much revenue did it generate? And at the time, what did people think critically? And, and how has the film lasted over time? And so that's going to be the introduction and starting points for every episode. And then we're going to get into the bulk of the show, the midpoint, if you will. Uh, that's the plot summary and the conversation, which is what we're really excited about. You want to you wanna say something about that, BFG? Uh, yeah. So basically, we're going to be doing like a chronological order of what we see in the show while we watch the movies. We're going to obviously be taking notes. So we're going to have kind of an idea of chronological order so that we're going to kind of like a blow by blow of each section, I guess, of all the significant beats of each movie. And then so that we can kind of uh, play off each other, you know, in, in, our, in our perspectives and, and, and whatnot. So this way we're, we're, going to, we're going to kind of agree on all the major beats of the story. And then we're going to choose which ways, what ones we're going to comment on. So we're not kind of repeating the same things about how we feel about, oh, I also thought that was a great moment. And like you, I like that part and that part. It's going to be more about like our, I guess we're going to kind of uh, uh, explain to you, you know, our reactions to those beats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. And it, it'll also help separate our kind of uh, freestyle conversation from later aspects where we're going to score different features of, the, of each of the films that we watch. Yeah, we literally don't want to have a identical segment to the previous to the previous one yeah perfect uh after we do the discussion of the film uh we're going to have the episode denouement which is the kind of the, the falling denouement. action yeah the kind of the closing down of the show where we'll make <laughs> falling action listen to the i know the i know feature. sorry about that but we're going to talk we're going to talk about what fleming would think you know and if we have to pose these these questions is rhetorical, then we will. But what connections to the How many source... roles does he do in a grave for this movie? <laughs> yeah. That... <laughs> that would be a good... I hadn't thought of in, that, but yeah. Yeah. In 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 Moonraker, he'll just like come right out of the ground and haunt everybody <laughs> and strangle everyone involved in the production. He probably would. But any connections, as Josh is saying, to the source material or the canon of Bond, including a short reading from the titular novel or the story, if we have it, um, because most of them represented here in this series, most of the Eon production films will have some connection to the Fleming original, regardless of how faithful. Uh, failing any connection, uh, thinking about the later films maybe, we'll uh, have a story about the connection that we spotted in the film or anything that we thought Fleming would make of the film. So we're going to try to bring Fleming in there as well. You and I have both done some reading on Ian Fleming as a figure and as a man and as, as a writer. And we're also then going to have personal highlights and lowlights. And these will include quotations and sinkers, things that worked well, things that didn't work so well from the film before we get into our episode conclusion, which is our ninth numbered feature and that is the money penny scoring on story, acting, and atmosphere. What do you want to say about that, BFG? Money penny scoring. So you came up with this, and I think it's brilliant. So we're going to do something really original. We're going to be reviewing things in money pennies. Mm -hmm. Now, a currency. We say, well, in, in terms of our numerical scoring, it is a currency. Mm -hmm. But of course, anyone familiar with James Bond knows that money penny is M secretary. Uh, and, you know, throughout, I guess, the Bond series, everyone associates, you know, Lois Maxwell as the as, as the as the money penny, as you could say. But what we're doing essentially is every 
every aspect of what we score, the story, uh, which is the narrative, the original screenplay versus adaptation treatment. Uh, there's the acting, um, the acting of the girls, of Bond, of his villains, the henchmen, of the allies. That's that's going to be reviewed out of Money Pennies. Uh, and then, of course, the atmosphere, which is like the location, set design, music, camera work, special effects. That's all going to be graded out of 10 Money Pennies. Each one of those things equals a total of 30 Money Pennies. We'll be giving you our that our summation of money pennies for each one of those categories story acting and atmosphere and we, we you understand. want to expand upon yeah, that so I, it makes I more think. sense to people who are listening no no i think that made perfect sense you did a great okay. job you did a great job of explaining it but i think we need to hold our hands up here we we recognize that 30 is not it's not the nicest number to get a fraction or a percentage out of right but the idea of giving a 10, like we decided each of these categories deserves because there's so much variety within the Bond series. Like if we're only working on five stars for each of these categories, how do you really differentiate three stars from four? You know, like I think That's we needed to we needed to go to 10 if we're going to talk about a film like From Russia With Love and also Die Another Day. You know, like if yeah. one of those deserves a, a two then how do you how do you quantify a five, right? So yeah. given the variety of the series, the actors, and the, everything within the canon, we decided out of ten for each category, and uh, that gives us a total out of thirty. But yeah, 30, money, exactly. If Money Penny is James Bond's biggest fan, as she is, not so much in the novels, but certainly in the films, as characterized at the start of the the series by Lois Maxwell, a great Canadian actress. If she is Bond's greatest fan, then why not use her as some as some you know tool of, of judging these films and that, that's what we're just trying to do just something yeah. a little bit, just something a little bit different really but because... it's always on bond side so so shall we yeah. so we, so we shall continue that tradition on our podcast of james mm -hmm. bond and you know like i said at the outset here we know there's lots of good stuff out there on james bond we're just trying to to put our own little yeah. edge and angle on it we're not looking to to, to challenge or best anybody exactly it's, it's all good stuff this is just our take on it so money That's penny right. scarring is what we're going to do hopefully you guys will find that enjoyable and yeah, i was thinking uh scott huh? yeah. that we're going to be having um in terms of i guess you could tier the like out of 30 like for example if someone has if one Bond film that we review has 25 money pennies that we could say that's, you know, Lois Maxwell tier. Uh, and then <laughs> yeah. you could say, you know, going down the list, you know, so going down the list, you have Lois Maxwell. And I guess you could say, uh, I don't know. It's a tie between Samantha Bond and Naomi Harris, I think for the other, for the next one. And I guess you have like Caroline Bliss or whoever was in never say never again. Uh, as as money penny at the at the bottom, yeah. <laughs> and we had to decide, didn't we? We had to decide to leave. Yeah. Never say never, never say never again, and the uh, the casino royale. We're going to leave those out oh, of yeah. this discussion. That, casino, that other casino royale, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but to be fair, though, to be fair to Caroline Bliss, I mean, I'm, yeah, she's okay. I'm going to admit if now. I remember to, her to Everyone who is listening, and please don't judge me. I'm actually I've become a really big Dalton fan i really want i would love to have seen more more than two dalton james bond films so i'm not giving caroline bliss her credit because i've seen mostly i've seen because simply because i've seen more of samantha bond in the brazen era and of course i think there's and even though there's only two films with naomi harris from the craig era was she in two films or yeah she was both in uh skyfall and specter right yeah that's right i thought she was yeah. in all was she not was she not no, in the first two because yeah. because <laughs> I, no, because Tobias uh, Tobias Menzies 
Who, oh right, yeah. Because everyone knows, I think he was called Villers or or Villiers or something like that in the in the movie. Tobias Menzies, of course, uh, known he's most well known for like Outlander, and even to me, more importantly, he played Brutus on on Rome. Uh, I guess he could he could, he could also be part of the tier. I guess you could say you could say <laughs> Tobias Menzies, <laughs> Money Penny, he could be okay. part of the story list somewhere. Okay, yeah, I forgot about him. Um, yeah. I think what I'm going to do is use what you're saying here about your uh, your uh, your Dalton feelings and kind of segue into our and our right now impressions of Bond because I think it's important that we establish a few things before we start watching these films to revisit them. Uh, but the last feature of our show, the number ten on Bond by Numbers, is the roulette selection, and I've got myself here uh, a great amateur, but pretty good actually. It's it's well constructed. Yeah, it looks good. I, I wouldn't call it a full size roulette like table, but it's your, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right on top of your tape, your desk there. Mm -hmm. um, I like I liked how you put the white paper over the numbers that aren't included. On yeah, roulette yeah. Basically, yeah. what we've got right, we, we've got uh, all the roulette. Uh, all the roulette numbers here because we wanted to find some sort of casino uh, connection to doing these films when Josh and I decided that we weren't going to go through the series chronologically one by two by three by four that way it's been uh, done before yeah it's been done before we decided it, to go a little bit random and, and uh, you know what I think it kind of creates an expectation uh, that we <laughs> I don't think we want to have because I think what it does is that it actually creates a comparison going like oh remember back to the Connery movies and then you go to the Roger Moore era like we don't want to review things by the era we just kind of want to just take in the whole double XM experience. We want this to be basically you got your beer and you got your bowl of chips and you're sitting down and, and it's like 19 is like 2002 and it, you're watching TBS and it's the James Bond movie marathon <laughs> and you're just walking into whatever freaking Bond movie is playing there right now. So you walk into that living room with, with sitting down with your beer, you turn on TBS, as I said, and all of a sudden you're seeing Roger Moore leapfrog or leap crocodile <laughs> over, a, over, a, over a swamp. So then, you know, that's, that, that's how I want it to be. I want it, I want this series to be Roger Moore leap crocking <laughs> over a swamp. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, yeah, that's that's hopefully what this is this is going to allow us to do to select the film that we're going to look at each each uh, each week or each episode. I've got this roulette table, as Josh says. I've whited out the numbers that don't that, that don't match up. So basically, we've got numbers one to twenty four of the one to twenty four current official films in the E Online. I've got those all represented here. We're going to spin the roulette at the end of each episode and decide what film we go through next. So it, it's kind of fun that way, like you say, a bit random, a bit uh, leapfrogging, and <laughs> we should try to get that try to get that uh, term coined. We'll, we'll make mugs and T-shirts, leapfrogging, <laughs> leapfrogging, yeah. And so that that's that. But um, so there you go, Bond by Numbers. Uh, we've got the recap, introduction, um, our first memories, Cubby's Corner, reception, reviews, revenue information, the plot summary, number six, and conversation, which is the bulk of our show. Seven and eight. Uh, the the denouement of our episodes. What would Fleming think? Try to connect somehow to the source material. Personal highlights and lowlights from the watching, from the uh, from the viewing. Then our money penny scoring, which is our formal index scoring of of each episode, and yep. the roulette selection. So that's it. Ten numbers and the features of Bond by Numbers. But before we end this episode, this introduction, this explanation, if you will, um, and rule roll the roulette to see what happens what our first film will be, why don't we just say a couple of things about where we are with Bond right now? Because I'm really looking forward to going back and not changing my impressions, but 
at least acknowledging my biases. And I suppose as a child of the 80s, born in 79, growing up through the 80s, uh, Roger Moore was my bond, especially as a young boy. I guess you could say as a teenager, it was more Dalton and that sort of five-year uh, that terrible five-year period where I was waiting for another one and we didn't get it until yeah. GoldenEye, you know. But Roger Moore was the one who was on TV uh, that I was watching, you know, regularly. And he was Roger the one Moore? that represented my times as such. Exactly. And Roger Moore, you cannot deny this, he did drive the White Lotus Esprit and the Spy Who Loved Me. He did go underwater. He mm-hmm. he did do those skiing. He did do that skiing, uh, you know, at the Olympics. He did climb that rock tower in uh, the free rise only, uh, even he did that Tarzan yell and octopusy. You can't yeah, that too, yeah. <laughs> or had to tape down his jowls uh, in the uh, to film the uh, <laughs> Paris the, scenes, yeah. The the Paris scenes in the in a video kill and dealt with the <laughs> without an accent as the movie states uh, villain of uh, Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I got a soft spot for him because he was. You know, I, I, in a quasi-sexual way, he was my first. You know, um, there's that there's that thing. But He's your as first, yes. as I grew up and as I got more into Bond, I watched the older ones, and I have an affinity for uh, Arger, rather. I, I guess uh, your impressions, my grandmother's impressions of Connery, as being particularly strong in those starting films, and I really like elements of Daniel Craig. And I think that, as you were saying a minute ago, our friend. Uh, <clears throat> Our friend Timothy Dalton is really close to elements of the Fleming Bond, you know, the hardness. Very close. That, yeah, so, you know, we've we've done a lot of, of uh, work around the James Bond uh, world, the literature, the, the video games, as you say, the, the music. <laughs> and, and now it's, it'll be fun to do a proper survey of these films. But let's just let's just be aware of of our biases so roger moore is, is one of mine maybe uh, i'm yes. going to try really hard to to put that to the shelf um i'm not going to reinvent my childhood but i'm yeah. looking forward to being more objective about it how about you you got any biases here buddy going into this well promotion of love is one of my favorite movies of all time so connery is definitely my bond i do love i do like i did like donald 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 uh I was going to say Donald Craig. God, it's fucking Donald Trump, I swear to God. Uh, he, he was just on my news feed. That, that's all. Uh, no more mention of him. Uh, unless we're talking about supervillains. Uh, so, <laughs> Daniel Craig it would probably be my uh, kind of second. I kind of tie Craig and Connery together. But you see, my criteria is based on closeness to the Fleming era. What I what I like as a super spy, in terms of a super spy, um, in terms of action, and gravitas, I guess you could say. So those those three guys, Dalton, Craig, uh, Connery, are kind of like, you know, they're my trinity when it comes to Bond. Uh, Roger Moore is a nostalgic favorite of mine because he was my first Bond as well. So I'll always love Roger. Uh, Lazenby, um, I don't I think he was a particularly wooden and he kind of got the most. But he has some good moments like uh, emotional moments that he did surprise me on. But he just didn't do enough bonds for me for me to make an impression of him. I guess you could say, right? Mm-hmm. You could even argue. And some people could even argue that Connery was wooden and Doctor No compared to you know uh, Goldfinger, for example, right? Almost sure. So you you don't know what Lazby could have done with it. You know, you, you do not know what he could have possibly have done. But Under Magic Secret Service is still like maybe my either my first or my second favorite Bond film, so, and it's your favorite Bond book, if I remember correctly. Yes, it's my favorite Bond novels. Uh, so on top of that, right? Um, 
What was I think when I second through a Bond novel, Court of the Rings? I think Thunderball was actually really high on my list. To Thunderball be honest was high on both of our lists. I think yeah. you went, I think you were Living Let Die number two, man. Living Let Die, the novel by Fleming, is awesome. Beware though, when you read that, you, if you want an adaptation of that novel, watch Living Let Die and License to Kill back to back. You'll get your better feel of Living Let Die, the novel. With those yeah. two adaptations, but we'll discuss that when we come to it, of course. We will, uh, and and much softer racism, and uh, yeah. it's still it's still there, unfortunately, in in the the Roger Moore film, uh, the black exploitation is there, and I know that that was a trend, and Bond, Moore's Bond, tended, I think, to, to trend jump quite heavily. That's just kind of where yes. the, the series went with him, but uh, less less of the racism in the book, because that that's one of the unappealing, challenging things to to do. But it's of its time, and you know, we gotta gotta, I guess take it for that but it it is a tough book to read in places but the narrative is 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 phenomenal it's great yeah. i think i think you could say that i i think your favorite bond you could go for a more of a nostalgia sense and i think just what you know what you enjoy the most out of it and i think i i do that as well uh but I, my criteria is very i think into what I, I think is an ideal bond and that's where i have that tr that holy trinity of connery craig and dalton Mm -hmm. Well, uh, like I said, I'm I'm aware of my viewing bias, and I'm also very well uh, in touch with my reading and what I like from the source material and what I would like and what yeah. I imagine with a Bond. And see, I disagree with what our grandmother said, uh, which we maybe will play you in our first episode about her impressions of Bond. You know, when she read it, she pictured Sean Connery. I, I don't see that. I picture I picture like a a squirmier guy. I picture a slender, a less like you know. I mean, like a Connor, David Niven, like that's well, kind of the yes, idea. something yeah. like that. Yeah, or more like a Roger Moore, to be honest. But Moore is just not as tough as the Fleming Bond. But I don't yeah. picture Sean Connery. I don't picture as much of a pretty boy. But hey, I kind of picture when I see a Bond film. I guess when I sorry when I read the Bond novels, I kind of pictured I, I weird cross between Connery and Craig, kind of like Connery's. I guess charisma and suaveness with Craig's kind of bullish, like almost Android, like face, facial expressions, you know, like mm -hmm. the idea, like at the end of Casino Royale's first chapter, uh, if you're going back to the novels about how the face, uh, still completely or, or something, right. That whole idea that when he, when he puts his head on the pillow and then like the mask of the day disappeared and then just the, the, I guess the killing machine was now put, was, was now asleep. And just the idea of this, like that person suit that Bond kind of wears in the novels, compared to kind of the more charismatic kind of portrayal we see on the films. But I'm really excited. Uh, I'll get to my point now. <laughs> is that uh, I kind of want to? I'm looking forward to going over the Roger Moore films again, particularly, and seeing if I have a different perspective on what he was trying to do. Now that I have a much more experience, more life experience, more of a, I guess more of an education in terms of what they're trying to do at the time than how I reacted to it, to him at the time when I watched it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we're old enough now, we don't need to fanboy these things. I mean, clearly this is a passion project, but we're going to try to, to distance ourselves a little bit from our, um, our influenced selves. Yeah, so don't take, you know, our, for those watching the series, like, we're, fan, we're fans of James Bond, 100%, but we're also going to be realistic here. We're going to be making fun of some things about these films, uh, it, 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 you know, in our, in our discussions, you know what I mean? Like we're going to talk about, you know, cheesy lines. We're going to talk about pretty bad acting from probably some of the actors in the films. Um, I'm not trying to be stated point. Just want to just stay clear here though, is that I'm referring to bad acting from both genders. Just, mm -hmm. just, just, just to be clear. Yeah. And, um, and we're also going to be a little serious at points 
regarding gender and representation because uh, how media operates. I think we need to we need to have an understanding of a film history and sort of discuss the points that aren't you know that, yes. that just need need to be fleshed out too. You know the, the men and women on set and how things operated and yeah, I can dive into my first year of film studies uh, texts and talk about you know like the censorship code and and how that kind of developed and, and how the Bond movies kind of started returning away back to the older time, I guess, to the period before this censorship was big, because this was the 60s when Bond first pr premiered on film uh, in a theatrical sense, right? Mm -hmm. So this was, and this was, as you know, the 1960s, for those who ever seen anything on like the civil rights movement or read anything about, you know, the Vietnam War and how that affected America and the rest of the world, the 60s was a very volatile era. It was like a powder keg. Uh, of, of, so, of, of social uh, change and um, reconstruction. So the Bond films began in that at the beginning of that era. So I think it'd be really interesting from a social, I guess, political view uh, on, on on how the Bond films were shaped by that time period. Yeah, and much like we did with the uh, literary series, we want to talk about girls in like we we use that word because it's. It's the Bond girl, you know. We're we're not objectifying. We're we're trying to deal with it as a generic type and form. Yeah, like like his girl Friday is just like yeah. a stereotype that has its title for the longest time. But we mean Bond, the women of the Bond of the Bond films, like the the character, the female characters of the Bond films. To give it, I guess, the most neutral um, explanation. I suppose so. Well, look, that that's that's good. I think we've said more than enough on on what we intend to yeah. do and yeah. how, how Bond by numbers is going to work. Uh, should we just now? Get to this by the way, the the by the way the before we do that, though, I got to say, okay, Bond by yeah. the Numbers is an inspired title. And honestly, when I first read it, though, I just picture us having like big, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, that eccentric painter dude, that, uh, Bob Russ, like big Bob Russ afros, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and going, you know, oh, this Bond looks really lonely over here. Let's give him a little tree. And, and you know what I mean? <laughs> So uh, hopefully our show will come out that way too, and not just you know uh, leap crocking. Um, I want to see I want to see some little trees uh, being alone, and you know, in some clouds that can skirt in there and stuff like that afterwards. So uh, that's that that's my goals for the series. That's my ambitions. Lovely. Well, here we go. Let's uh, let's let's roll the roulette table and or the roulette wheel and see what our first episode is going to be. So. Um... We've got this beautiful, as Josh said a few moments ago, this this wonderfully constructed two-piece plastic roulette table here. <laughs> right? It's a it, it's a pretty it's a pretty good piece of kit, to be honest. It's not it's not a cheap little mini one. It's it's one that you would properly put out for like a, a games night or a casino night, that a fundraising night. But it is not yeah. what it's not one of your beautiful casino, you know, benched in uh, mahogany type machines. It's it's a it's two pieces of plastic with a couple of needles and wheel, you know. But yeah. Anyway, it does, here, what it, it, does, it does what it does. So here we go, rolling the roulette wheel for our first Bond film. Inside wheel is going. The bearing's out. I appreciate this might not be the greatest listening <laughs> podcasting, but this is how suspense is built over the radio. Sounds like you're making popcorn. It does kind of, yeah. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Number 17, the 17th James Bond film is the one we're starting with, Goldeneye. There it is. Goldeneye is going to be number one for us. 
All right. Well, that's kind of fitting because that was kind of when I got back into Bond, when I got back into Bond and really jumped into it when I was younger. So, in by younger, I mean like in my teens and whatnot. So that's pretty cool. That 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 that'll be a good nostalgic trip. Uh huh. And it was kind of Bond returning, wasn't it, to the public after that hiatus of production and war? What was it? Uh, who's the guy involved with Thunderball that was trying to make another one at that time? Kevin McClory. Yeah, Kevin McClory. That's right. He was uh, trying to do something, wasn't he? Late 80s, early 90s to bring back that Thunderball story again. And there was all that production and lawsuit stuff. And here we are. GoldenEye is going to be episode number, well, episode number two, film number one in our Bond by Numbers. Exciting. Excellent. Well, look, pal, this this has been a, a lot of fun starting out. And I'm looking forward now to going away over the next couple of weeks, watching, studying, looking up and reading into the film and yeah. producing, producing notes for this, this first adventure. As am I. I'll, I'm, I'm going to crack the books as soon as I can. But before I do that, of course, uh, I'm going to maybe get in a game of GoldenEye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'll get on the phone to our grandmother and tell her to watch this film, see if we can't get a soundbite of her and include her in as well. Yeah, and you know what? Any Bond film that has Sean Bean is, uh, is a bonus to me, so that's great. <laughs> okay, look, uh, GoldenEye it is. We'll get you back here in a couple of weeks and get this thing off the ground. See you then. Take it easy. 